Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Liu. Joining me this week is my uh, former Pound the Rock uh, co-host, Joe Wolfon. Hey, man. How you doing? How you doing? Are you playing a lot of Ultimate Frisbee these days? What's going on? <laughs> I mean, we, we had a great time throwing the disc around in the park the other day. Yes. Uh, that, that was the, that's been the extent of my Frisbee throwing during this, I don't even know what to call it anymore. Like, I, I've been calling it quarantine for so long, but it isn't really that anymore. No, it's not like no. I'm cooped up in my house. I've been, I've been spending a lot of time outdoors. But yeah, like since uh, the pandemic hit us, that was that's been the only time I've gotten to throw a disc around. So I appreciated that. Um, but you know, aside from that, it's the usual stuff, playing a ton of tennis, um, been hanging out in parks and I don't know, just, just spending as much time as I possibly can outside. I feel like we talked about this. Our, our moods have been kind of directly proportional to the amount of time that we've been able to spend outdoors, which I think makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're a very outdoorsy person anyway. Um, you know, I remember, you know, back when, I was also at the score. Um, feel like you would come in with your bike often, and uh, as I as I said on the episode of the Stephen LeBron podcast, which you can the Stephen LeBron radio podcast, which you can listen to uh, on iTunes and Spotify. I don't know why I'm giving Alex a free plug here, but um, no, you would show up to the office with like just an assortment of sporting goods. I feel like <laughs> I've seen you come in with everything other than like a rugby ball or something. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, it's like I, I would definitely come in like either having played tennis or was like about to go play tennis after my shift or softball or mm. um occasionally basketball yeah no Bas- you're of the sports that i play basketball is the one that i'm probably the worst at which i don't know what to say about that you're not you're not terrible you're not terrible like you're, you're definitely a, you're definitely athletic um you know, I, I, the way you're describing yourself, it basically, you know, Nick Nurse said in a conference call this week that, you know, he want, his mom put him in piano lessons and he hated it because all he wanted to do as a kid was play between seven to ten sports. And I was like, who's playing ten sports? But then I thought about you and I was like, yeah, okay, I can see ten. You know, like, I'm sure Nick Nurse is pretty good at, like, badminton. Oh, yeah, he's he's got the look of an elite <laughs> badminton player for sure. Well, he's Asian? <laughs> Spiritually, yeah, maybe honestly, honestly, he, you know, no, but he he's, does have he's many a, qualities. He's a, he's a dilettante, you know. I, mm. I like. I imagine that Nick is just good at a great number of things. That is true. That is true. Um, uh, so what we're going to do in this week's podcast? We're going to talk mostly the Eastern Conference. Um, we're going to go through. Obviously, we focus so much on the Raptors. I've honestly talked to Raptors to death. Um, I'm excited to talk about actual basketball, so that'll be something new. But I've ran out of Raptors angles, so we're mostly going to talk about the rest of the Eastern Conference and sort of um, what interests us there, so maybe some um, you know some key questions or anything like that. But uh, first, I can't have you on without actually talking some raps. Um, you know, first off, leading into so 
tomorrow, Friday, um, they're going to be playing their first scrimmage game against the Houston Rockets, things like that. They're going to be playing three scrimmage games. And then the eight seeding games. Um, what are you expecting from the from the Raptors? And how do you think they'll approach some of this stuff? Uh, and just generally, what are your thoughts on the Raptors heading into this sort of bubble environment? Um, I, I mean, I think that, like, they obviously have a vested interest, I would think, in getting the two seed. So I don't know. They had the three-game cushion. Like, I don't know how seriously they're going to take those eight games and maybe maybe just for like the first couple I know this seems counterintuitive because like the idea seems to be that these teams are going to kind of slowly ramp up but I almost think it would behoove them to like go all out in the first couple of games and see if they can't extend that cushion a bit mm. and then just chill for like the rest of the seating stage um, knowing Nick Nurse I feel like he'll use it just as an experimental phase and try some stuff out, see what works. Like you wrote about the the idea of these jumbo lineups, which he experimented with a bit during mm-hmm. the season. Before the it was only season. 30 minutes. It, yeah. it was it was only 30 minutes. Of I mean, there's different versions. There's like a Boucher surge version. Um, I guess if you want to call Rondé a center, then there's definitely a lot of two center lineups there. But um, the one that Nick is talking about specifically, the jumbo with, with Kyle at one, OG two. Uh, Pascal three, Surge four, and Mark five. They've only played thirty minutes together, but they keep talking about it. I don't know, man. He just, he seems to be really enthusiastic. Yeah, there are certain teams I feel like where it makes sense to play that lineup um, against, like uh, like Philly, obviously, maybe even Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I, I think. I, I think that I, w- I would like to see them sort of extend that cushion if they can and and lock up the two seed and then maybe get experimental after that. But I understand that may not be the priority for Nurse and for the rest of the team. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm obviously very curious to watch them just to see how they look after all this time off um, and and what exactly Nick is going to pull out of his hat, because I feel like it could get really wacky and weird. I mean, obviously we saw the Nuggets played, like, <laughs> they started a, a lineup in which Paul Millsap was the point guard. Yep. Um, yep. And I can imagine Nick Nurse kind of seeing that and being really jealous and wanting to, wanting to one-up Mike Malone with something even more ridiculous well, I mean, we, we've seen Chris Boucher handle at the G League level, so, you know, this is... I, I would say, yeah, the scrimmage games are maybe one or two steps above G League, but not substantially so. And, and to your point about the early start, I do think it's interesting. So the Raptors played the Lakers first, and I was just listening to a podcast uh, that Jared Dudley did, um, and, you know, he was talking about how, basically, in so many words, he was saying, look, the Lakers aren't going to treat it very seriously. They, there's not much to play for. There's definitely no home court advantage to play for. Like, the really, the Lakers, so the Lakers are five and a half games up on the Clippers for first in the West. So there's almost no possible way they can lose that. Um, and there's also not a very good chance of them catching the Bucks. I think they're three games back of the Bucks. And again, there's no reason to catch the Bucks because there's no home court advantage. So um, I, I think that first Lakers game the Raptors play, if the Raptors want to take that game, I think it's fully there for them to take. I don't think you'll see LeBron play 30 minutes. I don't think you'll see... 
and Davis play 30 minutes. Now, maybe you don't see necessarily the Raptors also extending their guys that hard either, but again, it, depending on how they want to approach it, like that game's very there for the taking. And it's really the games that are kind of in, in the middle where, um, you know, uh, you know, if you're playing, you know, obviously the Boston game's going to be tough. The Miami's game's going to be tough. Um, but, you know, the Sixers game might be tough too because they, they, they're also fighting for seeding. But for the most part, um, you know, there's a lot of games where the Raptors, if they want to take them, it's there. But at the same time, of course, you know, um, the Raptors also had that three-game cushion. And really, it's just that Celtics game comes down to it. Do you want to talk more about the, the jumbo lineup, like, why do you think Nick is first off? Why do you think Nick is being so public about it and, and, and talking about it so much? Um, and and be you know, I don't know. Doesn't that take one of the? I guess one of the concerns is it takes one of the guards off the floor, and and it's not like the Raptors have an obvious guy, an obvious weakness in the starting lineup that you want to change. I think the starting lineup is pretty strong, um, you know. So why, why do you think there is so much enthusiasm behind the big lineup? Uh, I don't. I mean. Maybe it's like gamesmanship. Like you throw that out there and make a big thing of, oh, we're going to play huge and hope that whatever opponent you go up against, like waste some time trying to scheme for that lineup. Um, I'm not really sure, especially because when it comes to tactical stuff, I feel like Nick usually plays things pretty close to the vest. Um, so I don't know. I don't know why he, why he's been so open about that. Um, and again, like with everything lineup related, it is just going to be situational. And if there's an instance in which like they can't get by without having the ball handling on the floor, uh, then I do think, you know, they'll scrap it. But I mean, we saw it in the Sixers series last year, right? Like sometimes they were just getting overwhelmed by Philly's size mm-hmm. for the early part of that series. And it was, it became really necessary in order for them to, to just match up in terms of um, in terms of height and I, like I wouldn't expect Fred to have the series that he had against Philly last year. Like I just think yeah. he's added some stuff to his package that makes him way better equipped to deal with that size than he was. And, and like, we saw this year with Fred having I think a twenty-two point game and a twenty-five point game against Philly. Yeah, the third one he got hurt early in the game, so he left. But like he yeah. he was fine. He was good, very good against Philly this year. Yeah, I think importantly. I sort of feel like he's tightened his handle. Um, mm-hmm. He's gotten a little better at creating separation, beating guys off the bounce. He's expanded his range. Uh, he's become a better pull-up shooter. Like all of that stuff is going to make him, I think, better equipped to deal with, uh, you know, the Sixers potentially throwing like a six-foot-seven guy on him. Like I, he he looked totally overwhelmed in that series, and I just don't see that happening again. Mm. Um, but at the same time, like I, I think, I think it's just about options, and and maybe yeah. that's the that's what Nick is flexing is like, look, we have options. We can play any way that we want. And this is going to be, you know, an ace up his sleeve, I guess, that he'll be prepared to play uh, as necessary. Yeah, that is true. Um, That is true. And I I think it might also speak a little bit to the fact that, you know, Serge has had such a great year and now Mark has revamped his body. And we know, we know Nick Nars loves uh, Mark Gasol, man. He, he, He speaks the world of Mark. Um, and if Mark is, you know, anywhere close to where he was in terms of his all-star years or anything like that, uh, physically, um, you know, there is going to be an onus to try to get them more time, period. And, you know, they can split 48 minutes at center, 
but that only puts them at 24 apiece. And so I think that maybe it's just because, look, two of your best guys are centers, and we, we, they can play together. It seemed, I, Honestly, looking through the tape, I think they play fine together, like pretty good together, actually. Um, it might just be that's the only way to extend their minutes is to have them share the floor. And I don't think it's bad either because I think, you know, one of the things that playing big kind of creates is that it puts Pascal at three, which gives him a substantial size advantage over most small forwards, and he can score over most of those guys. Kind of makes Pascal's life easier in a sense because, okay, you might think there's extra big on the floor, you can help, you can send more uh, help in the paint, something like that. But honestly, Serge and Mark both shooting 40% from three this year. Um, They're both pretty good at knowing how to space the floor. Um, Mark especially, but Serge has gotten really good at that too. And yeah, if you get Pascal three, you know, he's posting up, you know, there's a lot of kickout sequences. And, and the one game that it really worked well was against uh, a team like OKC, who they, they play a little smaller. They have kind of a hole at small four. Um, I guess Lou Dort has been nice for them, but, um, you know, you, you look at the rest of the options. They obviously like to go to that three point guard lineup often. And man, you cannot put Dennis Schroeder or Chris Paul against, against, um, or even Shea against uh, Pascal three because he's just gonna roast those guys. So it, it, I, I think it's, I don't know. As you mentioned, it's it's cool. It's it's good to have options. And the whole idea for the Raptors is just be as flexible as possible, be as difficult to beat as possible. It's not necessarily be uh, as I don't know as dominant as you can. I feel like those are two slightly different approaches. Yeah, and Pascal really is kind of a skeleton key in that way because. He can guard pretty much anybody. So you can slot him in basically anywhere in any lineup configuration and trust that you know he, he's going to leverage some kind of advantage at the offensive end, whether it's like a quickness advantage against a more traditional big or a size advantage against like a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if he needs to guard you know a two or a three or if he needs to guard a four or a five, I mean... Bro, he'll, five, he'll, he'll, he'll even guard ones. Remember when he guarded John Wall from a lot of that yeah, series? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like, I, yeah, he, he's like guarded Westbrook before. Like he's, yeah. he's a very capable, uh, point guard defender. So like they can, they can put him anywhere they need to. And I think that's just, that's a big advantage. Like if they're kind of constructing lineups around him. Um, and I mean, the same is true of, of Lowry and Fred, right? Like the, the reason they're able to get by starting like two sub six foot guys <laughs> alongside each other is, is like those, those guys play bigger than their size. Um, and I think, like that's been the key in a lot of ways to the Raptors' success in general is just having a bunch of guys who are super malleable at the defensive end of the floor, and that just allows you to put all kinds of different offensive combinations together uh, and mix and match in really whatever way you want. Yeah, I'm really excited, um, and I kind of after seeing what Denver did, I really do want to see um, five centers. Like you know, I, what do you think, Dewan Hernandez at two? Like he's healthy now. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, yeah, so I, I think, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we'll have a lot more takeaways about the Raptors once the scrimmages start. Um, so I'm going to reserve most of the Raptors talk for then. Uh, that point onward. Actually, well, actually, one last thing I wanted to ask you before we moved on to the rest of the Eastern Conference. Um, award cases for the Raptors. Do you see any, I would say, better than 50% chances for the Raptors? I, I think you and I probably agree Nick Nurse is... Uh, should deserve to win coach of the year. And I think that especially if you don't factor in the rest of the games, which the awards are only going to factor in the first 64 games. Um, I think Nick nurse is kind of clear there. We've talked about that a lot, but do you see any other, you know, uh, you know, uh, award cases for the rest of the guys on the roster? 
I see cases for guys to like be on ballots. I don't see a really strong case for any of them to win. Like I would potentially put Norm, you know, as like a down ballot guy for sixth man of the year, and honestly, most improved as well. Like I think he has a yeah. pretty good in both of those categories. I wouldn't pick him to win either of those awards, but like I, I might put him third on my sixth man ballot. You know, mm-hmm. and like something like fifth on most improved. Like he, first of all, took a huge step forward. And also, I mean, he started a bunch of games. I don't know if he, if he crossed like the threshold beyond which he would no longer be considered for sixth man. But as a guy coming off the bench, I think he was honestly spectacular this year. Uh, Pascal, I, I, early in the year, I was thinking that maybe he had a decent case to repeat as most improved player. Does but, anyone repeat a most improved player? I feel like that I mean, hasn't even happened. No, it's never happened before. Yeah. Uh, and but I think, especially early in the year when he was legitimately like a top ten guy in the league, mm. which I, I feel like he kind of settled in maybe around like fifteenth. But but he was so good early in the year that it was like the the two year leap that he made, I think would have honestly justified him winning it twice in a row. Okay, so we give him the most most improved player award then. <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> Look, basically I mean, what happened. I mean, it's, it's between him and Kawhi. Between Kawhi's like sophomore to fourth year, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, I think if you were to look at like two year, uh, two year leaps in NBA history, like Siakam has to rank up there among the biggest two year leaps that we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, honestly, like, from his first to second year, he got so much better. Like, he was still a really valuable player in his second year. Like, what what he became, let's make it a three year window from what he was as a rookie to like what he is now. It's uh, it's pretty astonishing because he just didn't he didn't even show glimpses of the kind of ball skills, like the face up game, uh, the passing on the move. Like, he he didn't show any of that in his rookie year you know like there wasn't it was like okay here's the guy who's going to be an energy guy he's going to get buckets by leaking out and just getting behind the defense and like making hustle plays and he'll scavenge for buckets like we were we were talking about his ceiling as being like a kenneth farid or like a thaddeus young type yep um because the the sort of softer skills just weren't really evidenced in his game at all uh, so for him to go from being that to being what he is now is like honestly pretty mind-bending yeah seriously um he had like a baseline jumper that he would hit and it was it's so funny because he never shoots that shot he hasn't shot that shot ever since i don't think um but yeah no pascal's game is incredible what about all nba what about all nba teams i mean again uh, we're only going off the 64 games played i've seen some people put kyle lowry on there which i'm happy because i think kyle really does deserve that recognition i don't he's it's weird. I'd kind of put him on the All NBA fourth team if there was a fourth team. Um, uh, and then I think Pascal is a slightly better case. But um, what do you what do you think there? So yeah, so like Cash and I on Pound the Rock actually did our All NBA teams. I don't know a few weeks back, and we both had Lowry on our third team. And I think Cash had Siakam on his third team, and he was like my first cut. Um, mm. I, I um, did you cut it for Chris Middleton? We're, we're... I did. We're ending this call right now. <laughs> Listen, How dare you? I. <laughs> no, it's okay. Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton was 
a superstar this year. Like, I, I, I don't know if, you know, people who didn't spend a lot of time watching the Bucks really realize how good he was. And he's not, like, people won't consider him a superstar because his game isn't flashy like that. And, like, his, his personality isn't really flashy like that. Like, he doesn't profile that way um, in the kind of intangible sense. But, like, as far as how he played this year, he was a superstar. Uh, he had, you know, maybe the best shooting season of any like wing player in the league this year yeah and 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 he did it for you know as the second best player on a team that was historically good so if you're saying like in a vacuum which guy is better or who would i rather have i I don't know that i would take middleton before i take pascal in fact i don't think that i would just because i think pascal still gives you a little bit more versatility Mm-hmm. But in terms of just overall production from this season, I I went with Middleton over him. But like we're splitting hairs at that point. Like I obviously would have no issue with um, with Pascal making it ahead of him. And I think you know Pascal is a really strong case to be All NBA third team. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of competition for those last two forward spots. You know between uh, between Tatum, Middleton, uh, Jimmy Butler. I guess that's really it. It's those guys, I think, who are kind of fighting for those last two spots, like those four guys. And um, and, and I think I wound up going with Middleton and Butler. So. Yeah. Which, again, like, you know, as much as we love to slander Chris Middleton as Raptor fans, like, he shot 50% from the field, 42% from three, uh, 91% from the free throw line, uh, six rebounds, four assists, uh, 21 points per game in 30.1 minutes. Like, it's just incredible efficiency. An output from a guy and you can say look of course man it's it's a timeless debate there's never going to be a correct answer between how hard is it to be the number one guy versus how hard is it to be the number two guy and it's always so difficult to compare the two roles but at the same time it's not like Middleton is only shooting catch and shoot threes from you know um Giannis for example like you know Middleton what 39 percent of his field goal attempts uh from two were assisted so definitely he's creating a lot of his two-point shots and even for three 70 70 percent is high you know but it's also not that high you know like uh you know it's threes are just assisted more because people are usually passing to you on the three-point line so um yeah i could I, I can hear the case from middleton for sure i think he's been really good um Butler, I mean, again, like it's it's hard. Are you gonna just if you don't put Butler on the list, like, did you have Bam on the list? Because otherwise, it's like, you know, Miami would go without one, which doesn't entirely feel right. Yeah, I don't actually remember if if Bam ended up being my third team center or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, if he wasn't there, he was definitely in the mix or like a, a close uh, cut. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think like. In the same way that kind of distinguishing between uh, Lowry and Siakam is kind of different as far as, like, who is the most important Raptors player, like, who is really driving their success at the end of the day, I felt the same way about about Butler and Adebayo, you know? Like, they're kind of 1A, 1B, and that distinction can kind of change from night to night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then ultimately, it's kind of like they're more or less on the same level as twin engines for their respective teams. And, and so that, like, I found it difficult to like, you know, who deserves more recognition between Lowry and Siakam. I kind of lean toward Lowry, but it was also just because I, 
I didn't feel like there was a guard that I could justify putting ahead of Lowry, whereas I did feel like there was a forward I could justify putting ahead of Pascal, and that was kind of all it came down to at the end of the day. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I would still have both of them on my third teams, but, um, you know, but yeah. I, I just, I have a lot of appreciation for, I mean, not, not so you don't, I just mean like, to, to see Pascal and the sort of roles he had to play this year, especially with a lot of the injuries that they had to go through, and sometimes he would be out there with like, all right, you got to kick it out to Pat McCaw. It's like, damn, it's a little tough. Um, all right, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's not sign him McCaw. He hasn't even done anything wrong in the last couple months here. Um, let's, let's go to the Eastern Conference then. Um, so I've sorted them based on, um, so obviously there's only eight other playoff or eight other bubble teams, um, and I've sorted them based on most interesting to least interesting. Um, and I have it on my spreadsheet here. I, I actually didn't put anything for Orlando because I think they're that boring. But um, let's start with Philadelphia, the most interesting team. I would maybe say in the league. You wrote a great piece about this, uh, sort of comparing Philly and Houston as basically in a in a in, you know in a not nice way to put it, just the two messiest teams in the league <laughs> in a way, um, yeah. the two messiest competent teams in the league. Um, so Philly, let's see, let's see what's going on. Okay, so. Uh, you know, Ben Simmons is now playing power forward um, because he can't throw a fish into a lake, literally. Uh, <laughs> the bubble the is already worth it just for Ben Simmons to miss throwing the fish into the lake, okay? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and then Al Horford is basically benched again. Um, and so uh, there's a lot going on. First off, what's the starting five going to look like? Uh, for the Sixers, is it going to be Shake Milton moving in? Are they going to put like a Mike Scott into the mix? Like, what's going on here? By all accounts, it seems like it's going to be Shake Milton, okay. and I I do think if you are going to sit Horford, like Shake Milton is the guy that it makes sense to put in the starting lineup. Like putting Mike Scott in the starting lineup wouldn't accomplish anything. I think the point is not that like Mike Scott can shoot, but mm-hmm. Shake Milton actually gives you. Uh, a measure of competent ball handling that uh, I think was lacking when they were basically, you know, starting three bigs together. So I do think that makes sense. I, I'm still curious and I guess a little bit skeptical as far as like functionally, is anything going to be that much different with Ben Simmons? Um, and like if they're using him the way that, you know, you would ordinarily use a power forward, like he's primarily just serving as like a, like a screener and dive man or like a short role playmaker uh, in the half court, then I do think that's the right approach for them. Like having him, having him handle in the half court, which I admit like he'll still be doing that some, but it just never made a whole lot of sense uh, because obviously, you know, you try to run pick and roll with him and like the defense is just going to duck under that screen. Like, he can be handling the ball up top and like the defense will just be waiting for him below the free throw line. Like nobody needs to pay attention to him unless he is like within 10 feet of the basket. But I think there are still some interesting ways that they can use him off ball. As long as he's not just hanging out in the dunker spot, like use him as a weak side screener, you know, mm-hmm. or like have him, have him coming off of curls and like get ahead of steam going to the basket. Um, even like, like they don't really run any inverted pick and rolls for him, but like, if they had one of their shooters, you know, like Harris or, or Milton or Josh Richardson, like setting screens for Simmons um, and like setting those screens pretty low down, like at the free throw line. So he could try and Oh man, the run day like, screen. Yeah, exactly. Like get, like get up a runway going to the basket and, and then those guys can basically pop to three. Like that's like, mm-hmm. that's kind of like what 
what teams with LeBron, like the Cavs and the Lakers, have done for years, like have a, a, a shooter screen for him. Uh, the Bucks do that sometimes with Giannis as well. Yep. Like, I think when when you have kind of a power wing, where you know whose strength is not necessarily shooting, but is just like an absolute force going to the basket. I think screening with a shooter is always a good option. I mean, we see that with Pascal too. Like, not that Pascal isn't a good shooter. Like, he's certainly become that. But I think that's just really effective because you can either force a switch uh, or force a blitz or just, like, open up a runway to the rim. Uh, And those are all pretty good options. So, I don't know. Like, we'll see what happens. But I do think, like, their starting lineup obviously needed to change because it wasn't working with with Horford and Simmons and, and Bede altogether. So that's a good start. But, like, I'm still not convinced, you know, late in a close game, how exactly are they orienting their offense? Who's handling the ball? Like, what kind of sets are they running? And um, is there enough oxygen uh, for them to, um, like, score efficiently down the stretch? Yeah, that's always going to be the the issue, especially after losing um, Jimmy Butler. And I guess Redick, too. I think Redick... uh, did a lot of great things for them actually offensively um i feel like shake milton has gone under the radar a little bit i think people kind of maybe i don't know look down on it because here he is the 54th pick from the 2018 nba draft supplanting uh max contract al horford um, <laughs> in the starting five but like he actually has been quietly one of the best uh stories for the sixers maybe the only good story for the sixers all year is how good shake milton has become um you know in the last what 19 games before um, the, the COVID shutdown, he averaged 13 points per game, shot 54% from the field, 51% from three. There was that game that he played against the Clippers where, okay, so they lost, but he had 39 points and was legitimately going shot for shot with Kawhi. It was very yeah. strange to see that, uh, especially this guy. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, how much of Shake Milton have you seen? And I don't know, is this sustainable or is this sort of like a hot flash? Like, what's going on? Because he kind of looks like a diamond in the rough right here. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like, I I don't think he's going to shoot 51% from three. But, you know, it's... he. I think at one point he had a stretch where he hit 14 threes in a row. And so, obviously, like, the, like that kind of stuff is not sustainable. But I, I don't think you go through stretches like that without being a good shooter. And I think that is... Like, that's meaningful for the Sixers. Like, they just haven't... Uh, really had a guy like that who who can shoot lights out and also handle the ball a little bit. Like he's not he's not like a primary playmaker, mm-hmm. but in a pinch, like he can run pick and roll. Um, he can handle. He can get to the basket. Uh, he can shoot it a little bit off the dribble. I think he's like been much more effective as a catch and shoot guy, but he can shoot it off the dribble. Um, so I, I don't think that's at all like a meaningless development or that it's just going to be a flash in the pan. But I still don't think, like, just given the the structural problems that exist with that team, I I don't know that he, like, Shake Milton is good enough to suddenly, uh, you know, fix all of those problems. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And, And the thing is, like, when he was going on that crazy stretch, uh, Simmons was out of the lineup. And so we haven't really gotten to see what it looks like when uh, this new version of Shake Milton is is playing alongside a healthy Simmons and Embiid. Um, but I think, you know, the point you made about Redick 
is important and it's something I've harped on in the past, but like they like so much of their offense last year was oriented around him and his two man game with Embiid. Yeah. And, and I, think I think that's pro- that's probably a large reason why Embiid had a bit of a disappointing year is just you're running very different offense for him now. A hundred percent. And not having that release valve on like the DHOs. Like they ran so many dribble handoffs for Reddick last year. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can oversell like how how much that kind of loosened things up for Embiid. You can't really sag off of him as a defender because if he's just going to pivot into that dribble handoff, then you're sagging too far off of Redick. Um, there are a lot of times when defenses will kind of overreact to Redick and they'll send two at him, and that basically turns into uh, you know almost like a pick and roll off of a handoff. And it, they just they don't have anybody who or they haven't had anybody who incites that kind of panic and can force a defense to, uh, you know, kind of tie itself in knots. And maybe Milton is going to be that guy. Like, I I think from what I've seen, uh, he hasn't been the same kind of active off-ball mover. Yeah. So so I don't know if it'll work to the same extent, but I just think having that, that kind of a threat on the floor is going to make life a little bit easier for everybody. Yeah. Um, I do think Al Horford playing more center for them is, is going to be good. I think he's... Still pretty effective in that role. Um, it's just funny that he makes the max. But again, like, whatever. You're going to playoffs. Brett Brown's job is probably on the line. Like, you, you I mean, you know, you got to do what you can, man. It, it is what it is. Like, Dwayne Casey benched DeMar DeRozan multiple times. It yeah. happens, okay? Um, the, the, the most confusing point, I think, for the Sixers is just they have so many random assorted wings. I guess Milton is kind of, he's kind of random. But you got, like, Matisse Thybul, who's pretty much only playing defense. Um you know, he he can shoot a little bit, but realistically, I don't trust that in the playoffs. I think he's going to be left open a lot, and he's not really much of a creator elsewhere. Then you got, like, Alec Burks and um, Glenn Robinson, who they, they got at the trade deadline. Then there's Furkan Korkmaz, who, I guess, a decent shooter. Pretty good shooter, actually, but just really bad defensively. And um, I think, you know, you, you, there's no point in taking, just putting the defense at a disadvantage when the Sixers, that's their best trade, is that they're so good defensively. Um, yeah, there's just a, a strange assortment there, and you know, I don't know, man. The Sixers are very confusing. I, I do, do you trust them to sort of figure it out before, um, you know, just in this bubble environment where everyone's focused, hopefully, or or do you think this has a the makings of like a you know Boston last year where they they completely flame out? Uh, if you had to would... bet, which one was more likely? <laughs> um. Well, I don't know, man, because I, I do think there is a middle ground because I think that they could sort of, quote unquote, put it together in a way like to, to the extent that like they're they're actually playing very well and playing more or less up to their capabilities. But like they could still lose in the first round because they just get matched up with Boston and Boston's like a little bit better mm. um, or. Yeah. You know, or or maybe it's like they get matched up with Miami, and they beat Miami in a first round series, but then get smoked by the Bucks in the second round, and it's not really a reflection of of them kind of completely capitulating or flaming out. It's just the Bucks are really good, and you know the Sixers just like uh, honestly like weren't weren't constructed well enough i guess to beat them like i think defensively they have all the makings of a team that could that could stun milwaukee but offensively i just don't think they're going to have enough so 
So I don't know. I don't I don't see it playing out as like, oh, my God, they come together. Suddenly they're this terrifying juggernaut and like they run all the way to the finals. But I don't think they're going to just like crash out either. Like, I think they'll have a really strong showing in the first round and either like win a series um, or they'll just sort of go down swinging against a really good team and there won't be any shame in that. Yeah, that's true. And and Philly's been consistently pretty strong in the playoffs um, with this um, Simmons and Embiid core. It's not like they've had any sort of like huge disappointments. And I think, yeah, I mean, for, for most part, if you can play defense really well, which we know Philly has the talent and capability to do so, um, you're going to be a tough out. Okay, uh, second most interesting team for me, Miami. Um, okay, so we know Cash loves Miami. Um, I think he's adopted Pat Riley as uh, a Paisan, which... I mean, I guess Pat Riley adopted himself as that. But um, what do you think about Miami? So since uh, the Iguodala and Crowder trade for um, for Winslow and, I guess, Solomon Hill, Raptor killer Solomon Hill, um, they're 7-7. Seven and seven. Uh, You know, after the trade, I think maybe the rotations confused me a little bit. The way I look at Miami is just they have Jimmy Butler, who is a, is a really good player, but I kind of like a B-tier star. Um, his shooting this year has not been there, but he's still very effective getting to the free throw line. Uh, obviously, great defender as well, but um, I don't know. Everyone beyond that is just so average. Everyone is everyone is good, but like no one else is great. I guess Bam, obviously, but, but you know, th- there's something there. I don't fully buy Miami. Like I could definitely see them as a first run out. Yeah, I've kind of been lower on Miami all year. Like I haven't fully bought in uh, to their record. Uh, I think you know they've outperformed their point differential by quite a bit, uh, and They're that's eight and one in overtime. That's how, <laughs> and they were eight and zero at that point. At some point, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know how this is possible, man. And that's before like there, there's been some kind of shooting variance for them too, where uh, I think they they are shooting like well above their expected um, effective field goal percentage, and their opponents are shooting well below their expected uh, field goal percentage, and I think. You know, some of that is, you know, owes to their shooting ability and, you know, their ability to kind of close out and and effectively defend three-pointers. But I also think some of that just comes down to, like, random luck and shooting variance. And so I think that combined with the the fact that they've been so unsustainably good in close games... um, leads me to believe that they're not quite as good as the record indicates. And I mean, like some of that has to do with the fact like Eric Spolster is a great coach and having a great coach, I think can be a big benefit in close games. So you can't chalk it all up to luck, but I think my big thing with, with Miami all year has just sort of been, I don't know that they have enough two way players like, obviously, you know, Butler and Bam, those guys are both phenomenal two-way players. But outside of that, it's like, what does their optimal lineup look like? Because you start talking about guys like Iguodala, like Crowder shot the ball great in his first few games with them. But, like, before he came over in the trade, he was shooting under 30% from three. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. is, you know, one of their best defenders, but, again, just destroys their spacing mm-hmm. at the offensive end. And then, you know, they have all these... They have guys like Duncan Robinson, uh, Tyler Hero, Dragic, Kendrick Nunn, mm-hmm. uh, Myers Leonard, like these guys who have been pretty Olenek. instrumental for their offense. Olinick, you know, Olinick is actually, I think, a decent defender. Myers Leonard is terrible. Yeah, he's, but he can't they, move. 
But um, they have all these guys who have been a huge part of their shooting success and, and have been kind of instrumental to making their offense successful. But those guys are vulnerable defensively. So it's like I don't see a lineup combination where they don't have some exploitable player on the floor, if not two of them. Like guys who they need to be on the floor in order to shore up their defense but are are crippling their spacing at the offensive end or guys that they need on offense in order to, um, you know, uh, provide the, the necessary spacing but who are compromising them defensively. Like I just – I think that's a bit of an issue for them, whereas I, I don't see that problem for a team like, you know, Milwaukee or Toronto where, mm-hmm. like, they can throw full lineups of two-way players out there, guys who can uh, who can provide value at either end of the floor. Um, I feel like that's not entirely the case for Miami. Yeah, and that's I think that answers one of the questions I had written here was, you know, why are they so average on defense and how are they six on offense? It, and neither one fully made sense to me, but I think those speak to the fact that, yeah, they just don't have a lot of two-way guys that they can reliably trust. Um, Iguodala, since coming over the trade, I think four points per game in about a dozen games. Look, you're not looking for Iggy to score that much. He wasn't scoring that much for for uh, Golden State last year either. He, you know, there's a playoff switch for him, but I, I do have the question marks with Iggy. Um, the, I guess the only thing that with Miami that I really, really, you know, fear a little bit is the fact that they are two and zero against the Bucks, and I happened to be watching both those games. One was really early in the season. Goran Dragic got really hot. And um, Miami just just kept going, basically, off Goran Dragic. And then the second game, Bam just completely swallowed up um, Giannis. And it, it was very, very impressive what Miami could do defensively there. I mean, I don't know, man. Are, are they sneakily one of the best bets to uh, beat the Bucks? Like, what's going on? I mean, it's probably difficult for them to match up with the Bucks, I guess, unless it's in the second round. It, I guess the second round is basically the only possible time they could match up with them. Um, they are in the 4-5 matchup right now. Um, could we be looking at Miami as sort of like the, the, the team that stuns Milwaukee? I mean, I know Cash is looking at them as a team that's going to stun Miami uh, or Milwaukee, but I, so yeah, I, I've actually, like we talked about this on, on Pound the Rock this week. I think as much as I don't really believe in them overall, I do have, I do think that they have a couple of specific things that make them uh, a pretty dangerous matchup for the Bucks. You know, one is that Bam has just done an unbelievable job guarding Giannis. Mm-hmm. And he is one of the very rare guys in the league. You know, you could count him on one hand, I think, who kind of has the quickness and agility to hang with him on the perimeter if that's how they want to play things, but can also just sort of hang back and meet him at the rim and isn't going to get totally overpowered. And I think that's a really impressive and important combination. And like they can, so they can use him as like an on-ball guy defending Giannis, or they can stick somebody like Butler, you know, or or Derek Jones on him at the point of attack, and then have Bam sort of on the back line, uh, ready to meet him as like a second wave of defense at the rim. Um, and you think about you know what the Raptors did against Giannis last year was like they would have Kawhi uh, sort of meet Giannis at the point of attack. But then they would have waves of defenders who could help behind Kawhi. And like Marcus Gasol was so instrumental there, whether it was providing double teams um, or just kind of being a barrier at the rim if Giannis happened to break through that first line of defense. And I think the Heat can sort of approximate that um, with their collection of defenders. Not to quite the same extent, but, but I do think having Bam 
uh, might be the key to unlocking that matchup for Miami. And then the other thing is like we know the Bucks give up a ton of above the break threes. Like that is what their scheme is designed to do: is to force the opposing team to take above the break threes. And the Heat are the best above the break three point shooting team in the league. So. Um, that's just like two things, and I don't think that's everything. I still wouldn't pick them to win that series, but those are two pretty important things that I think uh, might scare the Bucks in a matchup against Miami. Yeah, um, I would not mind seeing Miami in the conference finals instead of Milwaukee. Oh yeah, but yeah, I agree. I, I wouldn't pick them over the Bucks. I, I just do think that you know those are. I mean, look, the, the having Bam, I think defensively is one of the most important pieces. There, it's way more important than even the three point shooting. I, I could see Milwaukee guarding them better, a little bit better on the three point line, man. Like, I think adjustments can be made. I know we make we joke about Mike Budenholzer, but you know, I, I think it's not impossible to take away some of these things. Like, I don't think in the playoffs, I don't think Duncan Robinson's gonna be able to get off eight three pointers. Um, I just think defensively they're gonna scheme a little bit better. Um, but yeah, uh, Miami's interesting, I guess, for many reasons. I just think they're a little average, but that's every single year. I think Miami's a little average, but you know, Eric Spolster's just a great coach. Um, my, my third most interesting team in the East, Indiana. Um, okay, so there's the Oladipo question, but and there's, I guess, the Sabonis question. Uh, but let me just ask you this. Will they ever get out of the first round ever again? Because 2016, they lose in seven to the Raptors. 2017, they lose to the Cavs in a sweep. I forgot about that series entirely, by the way. I forgot that even happened. 2018, they lost to the Cavaliers in seven. That was very interesting. Uh, and then 2019, they lost to the Celtics in a sweep. Um, are they ever going to get out of the first round, man? This is ridiculous for your team. You guys are looking rough. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, it's just... They just need to be healthy for like one playoff run, you know. Okay. Like, and I think you sound like the team, you sound like me in, in twenty fifteen talking about the Raptors. It's if, true, if though, only look, Patrick Patterson didn't have like a knee issue. <laughs> yeah, and then what happened, man? Twenty fifteen sixteen, they were fully healthy and mm-hmm. absolutely rolled to the conference finals. Definitely was, dominant. Just like totally convincing, dominant performance on their way to the conference finals. Um. No, I think I think this group is is capable for sure of winning a series. Like if if all their guys are fully healthy, I think getting you know getting Brogdon and, and TJ Warren, who's kind of sneakily had a really good year. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Sabonis Turner thing is tough, uh, and and I do kind of feel that eventually one of those guys is going to have to go. Not because I think like they can't be good with both of those guys, but just that like if two of your best five players are centers, I kind of just feel like that puts a cap on how good the team overall can be because like they have they played a ton of minutes with those two guys on the floor this year and they were pretty good. Uh, I think they had a plus two net rating with them on the floor, mm. but I just think the team would make so much more sense if if one of those guys was kind of moved out for like a really good wing. Um, and and I, it's tough to decide like which one of those guys you'd want to trade because they're pretty reliant on Turner as a rim protector uh, and, and as a big who can space the floor for them. But like they're really reliant on Sabonis to be like their offensive hub uh, who's like, 
you know, he, he leads the team in front court touches. He leads the league in elbow touches. He leads the league in screen assists. Like, he makes plays out of the post. He makes plays on the short roll. Like, everything they run at the offensive end kind of flows through him. Mm-hmm. So trading either one of those guys, I think, would force them to really reorient the team. But I think just the construction of the team right now, it puts a bit of a cap on how good they can be. But all that said, I think, you know, fully healthy, Oladipo, Brogdon in the backcourt, um, you know, uh, Warren playing the three or the four. Um, Jeremy Lamb, like, when he's healthy, he, he had kind of a so-so year, but, like, still is, like, a six-foot-eight perimeter player that I feel like gives you a lot of lineup flexibility that they're missing right now. You, and, you don't, you don't got to tell Raptor fans about Jeremy Lamb, man. Come on. This guy hit back-to-back <laughs> game winners on us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, like, I, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen for them this year. Mm-hmm. But, but I think there's enough talent there and, and like they have young talent too. You know what I mean? Like I feel like Brogdon is still capable of getting better. Sabonis is still super young and is getting better. Turner's still uh, 23. Turner, yeah, yeah. Like it's, they, they have some upward mobility there, I feel, but they also don't have the kind of a level superstar, uh, that is capable of sort of carrying a team in a series and like Oladipo looked like that guy two years ago and he damn near led them to that upset of the Cavs oh man and remember remember when people are like I don't care who we play Indiana or Cleveland we'll beat either of them and it's like uh, no no cheer for Indiana please let's let's not revisit the time that I picked the Raptors to beat the Cavs in five um but yeah, I mean, like, Oladipo was fucking amazing that season. Yes. And yeah. and he was good last year before he got injured, but, like, mm. not nearly on the same level. And I think if, after a kind of devastating injury like that, I just don't know if if it's realistic to think that Oladipo's ever going to get back to that 2017-18 level. But if he does, then I think that changes the equation for them quite a lot. Uh, because having a player like that who can be, uh, you know, sort of your best player at both ends of the floor. Like, he was a, an all-defensive guy that year and was also sort of captaining their offense. And just absolutely dusting guys off of the dribble. Like, getting to the rim at will, uh, hitting tons of pull-up jumpers, like dominating in transition. If he's that guy again, then... I, I'm not putting a ceiling on how good the Pacers can be. Like, I think they can absolutely be a conference finals team, you know, sometime in the next couple of years. But, um, but he's got to he's got to get healthy, and um, they have to find a way to sort of peak at the right time. Because what we've seen, I think, the last couple of years from them is like they have this really nice run in the middle of the regular season, and and then they kind of flame out by the spring. Like, they're basic. They are what the Raptors were in, you know, the the like. From like 2013 to 2015. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a classic first round out. Um, unfortunately, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, to the, the point of health, and, and that's just so tough. I mean, we haven't seen the best Oladipo. Maybe seen it in occasional flashes, but we really haven't seen the best Oladipo um, since that injury quite yet. And of course, there's a commitment factor there of like. Because it seems like he's sort of one foot in, one foot out in terms of whether he wants to play in this bubble and, and maybe his future with Indiana because there's an extension question there. But, uh, you know, so that's questionable, I would say. Um, Sabonis, I think, is dealing with plantar fasciitis. That's not great. Um, 
and and yeah, it is. It's it's a lot, I guess, um, for Indiana. I mean, I don't know. Is there a team? I guess in that top six, you know, within that top six, you know, Indiana is probably going to play either Miami or uh, Boston in the first round. Can you see them matching up well with either of those two teams and and getting through it? Or I don't know. Um. The Miami matchup's interesting, just because T.J. Warren and and, uh, and Jimmy Butler have the most random beef ever. But right, um, yeah, I would probably give them a better chance against Miami than against Boston. Mm. Um, I think the big weakness for the Pacers is, you know, as much as I admire what T.J. Warren's done this year, I think he's been one of the most improved defensive players in the year. They're still a little thin in terms of like their wing defense. Yeah, and the Celtics are just like stocked with wing scorers that I think could give them a lot of problems. Like, I don't think they have enough guys with the combination of size and agility to match up with, with Tatum Brown and Hayward. And I also think like the Celtics like to play small. Um, They're basically exclusively playing wing players at the four and they're going either five, uh, four out or sometimes even five out. And that's when I think, you know, playing the two bigs together could get really dicey because you end up having Sabonis basically having to chase, like, you know, whether it's Hayward or Tatum or Jalen Brown, like one of those guys out on the perimeter. And there's nowhere really to, like, hide him. Uh, assuming, you know, that, that Turner is playing the five and guarding Tice. And maybe, like, you can stash him on Marcus Smart. Um, but Marcus Smart's actually shot the ball really well this season. Um, and, and I don't think, like, Miami can play some pretty good small ball lineups too, but not to the same extent that Boston can with that level of of playmaking and shooting depth on the wing. So I think the Boston matchup would be really tricky for them. Miami, I would give them a chance. I think the Heat are, like, a little bit better built for the playoffs, but um, but I think if Oladipo's back and playing well, then I would definitely give, I would definitely give them a puncher's chance in that series. Yeah, because I think their talent level is actually pretty equivalent. Indiana's and, and Miami's, especially if, if Oladipo's full health and Sabonis is healthy. Um, I, look, man, just for your sake, I hope they get out of the first round. Um, <laughs> Thank you. you. Know, like it's it, look, it's tough, man. Four years in a row, the first round is very, very difficult. Um, next most interesting team. So I got okay. So with all due respect to Boston and, and Milwaukee, they're very, very competent teams. But interesting, I don't find them that interesting. I just know they're good, and you know we'll see what happens to them. Uh, I got Brooklyn next. Um, <laughs> Oh, I, I, just want, I want to read you their starting five from their uh, first scrimmage game. And, um, you know, look, you could take it with a grain of salt. Uh, the Denver Nuggets, as you mentioned, just started five centers. So, you know, it's, it's a scrimmage. But at the same time, they're starting five for the Brooklyn Nets. Chris Chioza, uh, which I'm pretty sure is dumpling in Japanese. Um, Garrett Temple. Uh, Karis LeVert, we know him. Timothy Luawu Kabaru and Jared Allen. Um, not exactly a, a just a stellar starting five. But reports are that Karis Levert. I had to do some research, but Karis Levert has been looking very good in terms of as a leader for this for the squad. Which I'm happy because he might be one of the four players I recognize on this team. Other guys on the roster include Jeremiah Martin. Never heard of this man before. Um, Donta Hall. Uh, they got Tyler Johnson, um, who famously I guess they they tried the poison pill. It didn't work. It really just poisoned, I think, Phoenix. <laughs> oh, no, Miami, uh, who re-signed him. Um, Jamal yeah, Crawford. Yeah, sh- shouts to Sean Marks, by the way, for 
for essentially getting saved from himself with these outlandish offer sheets and then going out of his way to just get these guys later on anyway. Like, yeah. he went and got Alan Crabb after the Blazers had saved him by matching that offer sheet, and then he goes and gets Tyler Johnson a few years after the fact. So, I mean, he he has his guys, I guess, and he finally got them. It's, it's the worst flex possible. This is like if... Uh... You know, if Brian Colangelo, when he was running burner accounts for the, the for the Sixers, if he went out and signed on Jared Rognani, like, you, you, why are you going back to the scene of the crime? Um, Jamal Crawford, Lance Thomas, and Theo Pinson. This team is so weird. Um, I had to look up the total number of Nets who have battled COVID. It's nine. That's more than half the roster. Um, they had a guy named Nicholas Claxon who had surgery and is out. And uh, Jared Allen said uh, conditioning continues to be a work in progress. So I don't know what to do with that. Uh, what are you expecting from Brooklyn? Um, can, is there something that Adam Silver can do to step in, remove Brooklyn and Washington, uh, and, and just bring in one of the teams from the West? Because I don't know, man. I'd rather see the Kings on this team. Yeah, I, I wish that he would step in and just like move two of the West teams over to the East because I would make for a far more entertaining product. Like both... Washington and Brooklyn are literally just there to get pancaked by every team that they play. And then they have one game against each other. So one of those, oh, teams, is gonna, one of those teams is going to win a game. But outside of that, I think these teams are going winless. And I don't know how you managed to put the Nets this high on your list of most interesting teams. There's nothing interesting about them. <laughs> no, I, I think it's interesting because this is a, a premium uh, Shandong Flying Tigers Um <laughs> <laughs> starting lineup like this this team would kill it in this Chinese basketball association man like but <laughs> but otherwise it's it's just kind of amazing I, I, you just rarely see a team um like it in this situation obviously a lot of situation a lot of factors went into this injuries covid uh everything like that but damn it's just uh i just wanted to get my chris chosa joke off okay um Next one on the list, I got Washington. Look, we're going to say Milwaukee and Boston until the end because, again, you know, this is how podcasts work. You want to get them to listen to the end. Um, Washington, very, very similar. Um, so they had a starting five of Shabazz Napier, Isaac Bonga, Troy Brown Jr., Rui Hachimura, and Thomas Bryant, which, you know, are five very random players, but also that's actually just their starting lineup, you know, minus, uh, you know, Bradley Beal and I guess Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I, I guess my only question is um, do you like any of their prospects this year? So Isaac Bonga, Troy Brown, Rui Hachimura, Mo Wagner, and I guess if you want to include Anzes Pesesnich, who I think was the first-round pick that the Raptors traded to uh, Orlando to get Serge Ibaka. Um, yep. do, you, do you like any of those five guys, um, and is, is there some hope for Wizards fans? Uh, I like Troy Brown a bit. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I think he's, he's one of their more competent defenders at the low bar, but... Um, I was going to say, I, I didn't think they had more than one, so that's, that's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think like he, he's got good size, and, and for a guy who plays on the wing, like he gives you a little bit of ball handling and, and some playmaking. He actually shot it okay this year, like 30, something like 35% from three. Um, and he shot it pretty well from the free throw line, too, so I think that bodes well for him being you know a competent shooter moving forward. Um, I think he's, he's probably their most I mean Rui is interesting in his own way uh, and he he has a lot to work out um, just from a sort of grasping of the fundamentals standpoint but um, but he's definitely got some like scoring ability like he Mm -hmm. he, I feel like Rui has a future as 
essentially what TJ Warren was before this season, you know, a guy who can give you a lot of buckets um, and is going to do it in maybe not uh, the most modern of ways, but he has more of sort of like an old school inside the arc game where he's a traditional um, power forward. Yeah. Um, so I feel like he's, he's going to have a career as like a good scorer and whether the defense ever comes around is going to be another question and whether he can ever be uh, like a half decent playmaker is another question, but uh, I feel like I feel like he'll be a good scorer in the league for a while. Um, but Troy Brown, I think, is like a more well-rounded prospect. So I guess that's the guy I would feel more invested in right now. Um, yeah, the only thing I wanted to add was uh, I, one of my favorite numbers of the year was the Wizards scored 140 something points in regulation and lost a game this year. Dude, 158. Wait, what? <laughs> this... Yeah, yeah. They they, they lost 159 oh to 158 to the Rockets. Yeah, so. that's, the game, that's the game I was thinking about. Yeah, that's that was an abomination, man. I mean, come on. The game of basketball does not deserve to be desecrated like that. Uh, you know, James Naismith rolling over in his peach basket right now. Um, all right, so we got three <laughs> teams left. in a peach basket? <laughs> uh, come on. Of course he is, man. I mean, um, Canadian legend right there. Maybe build a statue of him because I, I feel like, you know, maybe a shortage of... Uh, great people to build statues about, you know, what about the guy who invented basketball? Um, okay. So we're finally getting to Milwaukee and Boston. I think honestly, Boston's a little bit more interesting to me just because they still have some flaws. I mean, Milwaukee has flaws, but like realistically they have such a good fastball. It's not really much of a flaw. Uh, Boston, I guess I have two questions with Boston. The first one is sort of, um, does it matter that they don't have a seventh guy? Because their top six is really good. Um, yeah. Does it really matter they don't have a seventh guy? And I guess really one of the top seven or one of the top six is Daniel Tice, and we can maybe debate if he's that good. But I mean, still, top six is very solid. They work well together. Their starting lineup regularly is plus eleven with uh, per hundred possessions. When they put Brown or Smart in for Brown, they're plus fourteen. So they have a really solid top six. But number seven, it's like I don't know Wanamaker or. Semi Oljale or I don't know Grant Williams. I mean, I like Grant Williams and okay. and want and Wanamaker was actually decent this year. Like they don't have like the Raptors have this sort of clear cut top seven and like you know I think if we had our way like they would have a clear cut top eight with Terrence Davis rounding it out, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Mm. Um, I think the Celtics like top six might be better than the Raptors on balance, but. Uh, obviously, I think the Raptors, you know, seven through ten is much stronger, and oh, yeah. and I don't know really whether that matters or not. I think, you know, if you have a really strong top six, and I I think you can maybe cobble together some decent minutes, um, and and have basically like a seventh man by committee, like between Wanamaker. I, I actually I think Grant Williams is actually going to be useful for them in spots just okay. because of his defensive versatility. Really uh, limited offensively, though, as a center. It doesn't he help is, that he's short. He can't really shoot that well. Yeah. Um, he's, I don't know, he's a really interesting prospect because he does bring a lot to the table, but the the complete lack of shooting um, or just, you know, refined offensive skill in general is a problem. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, maybe that's the kind of thing that, over the course of a series does kind of burn you. I feel like that was sort of the issue with Philly last year, right? Mm-hmm, like yeah. they couldn't find they couldn't find a seventh guy. 
And it was a very specific problem for them where, like, when Embiid was off the floor, they just got killed. And, like, they ran through a bunch of different options and just couldn't land on anything that worked. Um, and, and maybe, you know, over the course of the series, like, for the Celtics, that would bear out. Like, are they, when, when Tice is off the floor, like, are they going to have to go to Cantor at the five? Uh, are they going to go super small with Grant Williams at the five, or is it Robert Williams? And, you know, in the backcourt, I don't think they have a ton of good options off the bench. It's really just, like, Wanamaker, and that's about it. So I think it's possible that that's the kind of thing where, like, in a series against the Raptors, where I feel like the margins are super narrow, that could be, you know, one of the deciding factors that that swings it the other way. Yes. And also, I mean, look, it, it also just becomes a battle of attrition, right? Because, A, if you're going to have finals aspirations, how many teams have gone to the finals with just six guys, man? It's it's tough. Um, and then the other thing is, like, if you have even a minor injury, you know what I mean? Like, let's say someone sprains an ankle. Man, that happens all the time in a series. One guy has to miss, like, one or two games. Celtics really don't have that option. Um, so I, I think that's a bit concerning for me. But... I, the other question I had was really just, do you believe in this three-point shooting with Marcus Smart? Because if you can actually shoot threes like this, then all of a sudden it's really, really scary, the fact that they can always have four guys on the floor who can uh, defend well, shoot well, and play make well at the same time. I think I believe in it just because it's actually been trending in this direction for a while. Like, it's not just a complete one-off um, where it's totally coming out of nowhere. It's been kind of like a gradual improvement over the last few years. And it's it's not just, you know, the percentages, I think, that have been encouraging, but, like, the volume. Um, and he, He's shooting you know, seven he's a game. Seven a game, and, and he's hitting them at 35%, which is whatever, basically league average. But, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, considering... it's, one those, it's one of those 35% where he takes two bad threes a game. Like yeah. he, because he does force the issue a lot, which is always going to drop your three point. Like I think that's why Kyle's three point percentage is rarely above forty percent, even though I know he's a good shooter. Yeah, I think the the really crazy thing with Smart is I think he shot like thirty eight percent off the dribble this year, which is real. Like if you think about guys who are kind of so so shooters, you typically think, okay, well they're probably pretty decent off of the catch, and like they can't shoot off of the dribble. And with Smart, that's completely inverted. And for a point guard, like if you if your strength is shooting off of the dribble, then I think that's super valuable. Mm. Um, and maybe maybe you get into some other issues if like if he isn't as good shooting off of the catch. Then when he's playing off of the ball, it just makes it that much easier for the defense to totally ignore him. And I'm honestly I'm not totally convinced that uh, you know in a high leverage playoff situation. Like he's going to trust that shot, or the Celtics are going to be feel you know particularly good about um, him being the guy that's left totally open and the ball finds him and and he has to take like an important three pointer. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think I think it's sort of real, but I still think that it's too shaky to be considered something that's like that's going to be a reliable weapon for them in the playoffs. All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I think Boston's just a really solidly built team. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, they're just going to be a really tough out. Uh, Milwaukee. Um, so I, I guess, like, 
Many questions have been answered about Milwaukee because they're statistically even better than they were last season. I don't even think necessarily using statistically is um, a disparagement uh, against them. I, I think they're just have a fa- having a fantastic historic season in many ways. Um, I, I guess it's because the roster hasn't changed that much, um, the question is sort of how have they made this improvement? So, like, what do you think Milwaukee has done to improve s- even from where they were last year um, in the regular season at least? I mean, I, it's kind of as simple as Giannis got better. Like, everything he did last year, he did a little bit better this year. Mm-hmm. Middleton, to me, got a lot better. Yeah. Uh, he was already pretty good. But like like I said earlier, I think he just played like an absolute superstar this year. Um, and his shooting, you know, from every level and in every scenario, whether it's off the catch or pulling up in the pick and roll, coming off of screens, uh, mid-range, three-pointers, like, all, all of that was just unbelievable. Um and he's like Middleton's really refined his post game too, which I feel like is just really helpful as far as kind of like bailing out possessions for them when uh, when their sort of plan A and B don't work out. And I feel like I don't know. That's just as far as having something in your, your back pocket because the, their lack of offensive versatility last year I feel like was what ultimately really did them in. So if that can be a weapon for them, um, then that's a pretty important development. Uh, George Hill was completely ridiculous for them off of the bench. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo. Yo, he shot took the three a, better than that, Matt Thomas, man. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really just because stylistically, they really haven't changed all that much. Mm-hmm. Both both offensively and defensively, they've done things more or less the same. I think they've maybe mixed in a little bit more pick and roll at the offensive end and haven't been as reliant on just the kind of you know, use Giannis as a battering ram and spread the floor around him and, mm-hmm. and just do that over and over again. Like, they have a little bit more variability, I think, in their offense. But, like, defensively, they're basically doing all the same stuff. They've gotten even better at protecting the rim, which is crazy. Uh, they, I mean, their defense uh, is, relative to league average, the third best defense of all time. So wow. it's kind of just... They just made all of these internal improvements uh, to the point that, you know, I thought that Brogdon loss was really going to hurt them. And I don't know, maybe in the playoffs, ultimately it will. But so far, it hasn't been an issue at all, just because it seems like every player in their rotation has like taken a meaningful step forward. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's 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 a scary team for sure. Um and I think, you know, having gone through the, the, the playoff run last year, I think, you know, they're a little bit more experienced than they were before. Um, if I were, okay, the way, the way I look at it maybe is how many of these guys do you trust in the Bucks? Um, Giannis, obviously we trust Chris Middleton, you know, he could be trusted. He's not, maybe not, maybe not as good as he is in the regular season, but he's still a very good two-way player. Brooke Lopez, I think he can be trusted. George Hill, I think you can trust him. Um, beyond that, I I guess Marvin Williams, he's... I, a veteran, um, but I, that that's still is something to me where I'm like I don't fully trust Eric Bledsoe. When I watch Wes Matthews, I feel like he's just a chucker. Like he really just shoots a lot of bad shots defensively. Mm-hmm. He competes, but not great on that end. And then Dante Divincenzo has been really nice for them. Um, you know, as sort of like a just an energy guy, he's really good at providing that. Has some some decent skill as well, um, but he's a little younger. I don't know. I, I still kind of come back to a little bit like. If there is one weakness there, um, I don't know. I could see one of these guys disappearing, multiple of these guys disappearing. But it's, it's hard to poke poles in the box, man. 
Yeah, it, and like I'm not totally sold on them offensively, but mm-hmm. I sort of feel like they've solved defense in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, it's, like it's the personnel it's, that they have. We were talking about and, this. And, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about this when we were in the park because this is what happens. Um, but like, the, yeah, it's all the things that every coach from like pretty much like um, I don't know middle school onward would tell you. Like, get back in transition. They do that pretty much better than any team in the league. Get defensive rebounds. They do that better than any team in the league. Limit free throws. They do that better than any team in the league, basically. Um, and then yeah, force jumpers <laughs> and like. You know, like they don't give up corner threes. They don't give up anything at the paint at all, and they do all the other things right. And it just feels like this is a formula where I'm a little surprised more teams aren't trying to replicate because it seems so doable. Um, because again, those are just the obvious things that you would do, but they do the obvious things really well, and all of a sudden you have an all-time team. Of course, you have Giannis that helps, but you know. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, right? It's like you can say, well, why why aren't other teams trying to replicate this? And I, I think the answer is, uh, you like no other team has a Giannis, and um, and honestly, like no other team really has a Brook Lopez either. I mean, like Rudy Gobert, I, I guess, can do what Brook Lopez does just as good or or better than Brook Lopez does it, but. Um, but he doesn't have a guy like Giannis beside him who can essentially allow him to like play a one man zone at the rim because he can cover so much space around him that, um, you know, he can close out, he can switch, like he can shut somebody down on the perimeter. Like that just, what Giannis is able to do just makes everybody's life so much easier. Mm. Um, and then you also like having a sort of really strong physical, uh, guard at the point of attack, like Bledsoe, who is just so good at fighting through screens um, really good with the rear view contests. Mm-hmm. I mean, Middleton too. Like it's kind of up and down the roster. Like any other team could try and replicate what they do, but they just wouldn't have the same kind of success because uh, the personnel that the Bucks have is like uniquely suited to playing this style and and to playing it uh, exceptionally well. So it, it's like a combination, I think, like a real synergy of personnel and scheme that has made them just incredibly difficult to crack at the defensive end of the floor. And that's why I think, you know, in spite of all these concerns that these legitimate concerns, I feel like that people have thrown out there. Like I, I know, you know, cash has been kind of down on the pucks as a playoff team all year because he just like, doesn't really trust their supporting cast. And uh, Bledsoe is a flight risk. And even Middleton, like kind of no showed in the conference finals last year. But in spite of all that, I just think like their defense gives them such a high floor that even if they aren't all there offensively, like, I still feel pretty good about them being able to get to the finals. Yeah. I also just think that like Kawhi leaving the East is as big of an, as an improvement that yeah. they needed to make. Like you, that, <laughs> I think that was the only way they were losing. Um, and who knows? I mean, yeah, they're not a perfect team still, but uh, yeah, that's just, I don't know, man. I don't want to talk too much about the books. Cause I really do enjoy slandering them, but like it was a fun year of doing that. You know, <laughs> we'll see what happens the second time around. Hopefully it's still the same. I really don't want that fan base to succeed. It's it's just they're so annoying. But um, they're a damn good team. There's nothing else to say. Um, the last team is Orlando, but we've run out of time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I have wrote nothing for Orlando. Not interested in this I, team I whatsoever. Whack about Jonathan Isaac's defense, but he's, we he's can not say even that. there. <laughs> no, he Are is you? there. I don't know if he's playing, but he is there. Yeah, he's just there to catch fish and, and run through practice. Like, man. 
the Orlando is just like I, I turn on the TV and somehow every time I see there's first off Orlando is always playing during prime time somehow every time I turn on League Pass or turn on TV anything Orlando is always playing and then every single time I see it's uh, a duck in for Nick Vucevic and um, DJ Augustine is feeding him the ball and he, he's gonna either make or miss a hook shot it doesn't really matter like I just I don't know man like Aaron Gordon um, braided his hair like it's just there's a lot like but there's also just nothing going on here. Um, they're just so they're just so boring. It's um I guess they have Fultz. I guess that's cool. Uh, he's he's had a okay year. Um, still can't really shoot it that well, but uh, considering where he came from, it's not bad. I guess. But uh, you you get one minute on on the on the Magic. Do you want it or not? Um, Aaron Gordon was playing really really good ball before the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still but he have... he had a really bad year before that though. No, I know, and it's, like, his development has definitely kind of plateaued, which is Uh disappointing, because I'm sort of on, you know, Aaron Gordon Island, uh, and holding out hope, I've I've been high on him for a while, so, and I've long just felt like he needs a different situation in order to fully realize his potential, because there's such a, like, a front court logjam in Orlando, where Mm -hmm. he's been forced to play so many of his minutes at the three, where I think he's quite obviously better suited to playing the four, and just having a little bit more spacing around him and not necessarily being relied on to be like an initiator on offense, but just being more of like a slasher or a role man and somebody who's maybe like playmaking in transition, but not in the half court. And I just don't think that's going to happen for him in Orlando. Like the floor is too cramped. There are too many bigs. And so I I think, you know, if he, if he plays well uh, and maybe gooses his trade stock a bit, then I think that could be important for the Magic because they could flip him into like a meaningful asset. I think that maybe fits their team concept a little bit better. A point guard, please get a point guard, man. <laughs> How have you been running with Jameer Nelson? And, and I guess shout out Jameer Nelson, he was fine. But like <laughs> Jameer Nelson, DJ Augustine, like when was the last time they had a like man? We're talking well, about folks. Pe- I mean, listen. Um, yeah. If I- I'm just saying, if. If somehow he ever like rediscovers that jump shot, I actually think that he is going to be a really good player because he has all the other tools. He does have a lot of other tools. I agree. Uh, yeah, pretty decent passer, good decision maker. I think, but I don't know, man. It, the three point, I guess it's just it's just so hard to succeed without a three in the in the modern NBA. And of course, you know we're going to give him a lot of time because his start to, this, to his career was just so strange and he needed time to adjust but you know he's he's also only shooting 1.83s per game this year playing uh, almost or 28 minutes and shooting 25% like it's just going to be really tough and if you're going to shoot like that then maybe you got to defend like Marcus Smart or something and it's not like Marcus Smart's some sort of uh, star player either it's just so so hard to succeed without shooting the 3 as a point guard man oh yeah no 100% and yeah. and that's why he is you know, probably like a slightly below average player right now and not, um, you know, and not a star because mm-hmm. apart from that, it's like, he's got the size and he's got the length. I think he's a, a good defender and capable even of being a great defender. Um, he's incredible in transition. Uh, I think he's a great passer. Like he does all this stuff really well, but it's just, um, he's not a threat to pull up and off of the ball. It's a bit of a mess. Like he, yeah, and you could tell uh, he's he's never really played off the ball like that. He doesn't doesn't really know what he's doing. Yeah, he he's doesn't. Kind of he just he just kind of stands around and drifts. Yeah. Um, and and like defenses totally ignore him. So, 
Uh, it's definitely a big problem. I, I hope for his sake and, and for the Magic's sake that he can, you know, just somehow find find his way to just even being like uh, an average jump shooter because that would unlock so much for him and for that team, I think. Yeah. No, he does have some of the, the finishing ability and some of that is the athleticism, um, the handle, the quickness. It's, there's a lot there. It's just, yeah, the most important thing I think is also just missing. Uh, that that's the, that's our one minute on the magic. Uh, I think it went longer than a minute. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I just for our sake, I hope it's not Raptors magic in the first round. I just, you know, like it's not, it's looking that way though, man. Because it's it's looking like, that way eight right now, and there's zero chance that that the Nets stay in seventh. So uh, prepare yeah, yourself for Raptors magic. As someone pointed, out, oh, as, as Assad pointed out, um, it could very well be the Raptors play the Magic, the Sixers, and then the Bucks. In the East. Very, very likely. Well, not very likely, but very, very possible. And, yeah, I mean... Hey, listen, this, it worked out the first time, so... Yeah, I guess so. You know, I guess all we gotta do is uh, sacrifice the first game to DJ Augustine. Have him talk a lot of smack about, you know, whatever. Um, and we need Dennis Scott to... Well, who was it? Oh, who was it that predicted that the Magic were gonna beat the Raptors? It was like an ESPN uh, guy. I don't... Like, they were going to beat them in that first-round series? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Damon oh. Jones. Oh, God. Yeah, they said the Raptors will lose to the Magic, man. That's that's tough, man. Yeah, tough look. Yeah. You got a favorite Damon Jones memory? When uh, LeBron dunked on him? When he was... That was a, that was one of the <laughs> nastiest dunks, man, of LeBron's career. LeBron dunked on Damon Jones? Yeah, wasn't it like he... Um... Are you sure you're not thinking of Jason Terry? No, I, no, that's also one of his nastiest dunks. But no, there's definitely one from like the 2007 or something like that, where I think Damon Jones switched teams to the Heat. And oh man, hold on, let me look it up on dunks. While you on... look it up, I'll say my my favorite Damon Jones memory is definitely when he hit that shot to literally eliminate the Wizards at the buzzer. You remember this? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was a decent and, player for them. So like, Arenas was at the free throw line. It was like three seconds left or something like that. And he missed the first free throw and like LeBron went over and whispered something in his ear. Mm-hmm. And we later found out that what he said was, if you miss this next one, the series is over. Oh man. And, and then arenas misses the second one. And, and then like the next play, the Cavs go up the floor. LeBron gets double teamed, um, kicks it out. Uh, I think Larry Hughes and Larry Hughes finds Damon Jones in the corner. And at the buzzer, he hits a series winning shot. Yeah, I, I definitely do remember that. That's a great call. But um, yeah, no, seriously, go look it up. Damon Jones demoralizes. Dame, uh, sorry, uh, LeBron James demoralizes Damon Jones uh, on YouTube. This was the year. Remember, LeBron was wearing the mask, and it was and it was one of those classic LeBron versus Dwayne Wade games. Those were always fantastic. And shout out Dwayne Wade for I think winning more than half of those because he was really good. But um, yeah, LeBron gets to steal. Damon Jones is guarding two on one. The trailer obviously goes back to LeBron, and Damon Jones kind of turns his back. So LeBron's kind of like almost riding him. Um, it it's bad. It's really bad. I mean, the the game had to stop for a little bit. LeBron took off his mask and laughed. Also, um, uh, Tractor Trailer is the first one to come um, dap up LeBron, which is I don't remember him in Cleveland at all. And, yeah, this is a, right. a real a real throwback. Michael Doliak's on the floor right now. Um, Shaq sitting on the bench as a member of the Heat beside Wang Gigi. Um, so there's a lot going on here. But look up that dunk. It's it's really one of the best. 
Well, it's, uh, I guess the second most embarrassing thing that's happened to Damon Jones in his professional career <laughs> after predicting the Magic to beat the Raptors in the first round. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, Wolfon, we've uh, talked a long time about this now. So uh, is there anything you want to leave off with? What are you working on? People, uh, every time Wolfon comes on, I have to remind you that he's one of the best writers in the game, period. Um, very insightful, very, very uh, just eloquent writer. Um and, of course, you do a podcast with Pound the Rock. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, nothing in particular right now. I mean, I'm just um, doing kind of some some preview content uh, with Cash at the score as we get ready for this restart. Um, so you can read my stuff there on the app if you're so inclined. Um, follow me on Twitter, Joey underscore W. Subscribe, listen to Pound the Rock. Uh, but, yeah, that's about all I got. How much are you missing the the score office snacks? Yeah, I mean it's rough. They yeah. they were they they really sustained me a lot because there were there were a lot of days where I would just not eat lunch, like I would just snack periodically <laughs> throughout the day. So it, those those yeah. kind I mean look listen we're not talking about nothing though the kind bars and uh, vitamin water like you know oh, I'll yeah. catch you for a lot almonds and yeah. you know, the the vegetable and hummus packets. Yeah, well I don't know man those were. Those were down the list for me personally, but no, it's just the hummus wasn't good, man. I don't know. I live right next yeah, to parallel. I live next to parallel. Like, oh yeah, I well, just had it for lunch yesterday. It's an incredible oh, place. That, that place is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Back when you used to live out here, I miss it, man. Now you're a Queen West boy, you know. Yes, I am. Yeah. Well, all right. That does it for the podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm looking forward to covering actual games after this week. And so definitely look out for that. There will be the reaction podcast. There will be 10 things. Yes, even after scrimmages, okay? I'm, I'm going to be talking about, you know, the Raptors because, look, uh, it's been a very long time without uh, actual games. And so we're going to be overreacting to um, everything. So look out for the reaction podcast. Look out for 10 things. Uh, columns, you know, everything, man. I mean, there's, there's just I'm just happy to have the Raptors back. So look out for that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.